0: G'day there, and welcome to the rewrap for Thursday. All the best bits from the Mike Hosking breakfast on News Talk ZB in a sillier package. I am Glenn ZB, and this morning, uh, sugar might not be making us fat after all. Although it is probably rotting our teeth, so who's going to pay for that? Uh, The subject of representative youth rugby, in fact, representative youth sport generally, comes up again. And Julianne Genders' gabble of indecision. But before any of that, the Pacific Growth Funds... Where are they going
1: exactly? Tell you what, I do hope the provincial growth fund isn't the trifecta in this year of delivery, which, in perhaps one of the great political ironies, could in fact turn out to be the fourth bust of the year—the year of delivery. Uh, given, let's be honest, here we are in May. This is not a government festooned with good news delivery stories so far. Perhaps there is a lesson for Jacinda on going around just giving names to stuff. Speaking of which, next year's on me. No, it isn't. That's why we have $200 million clawed back this week from a failed, hopelessly idealistic idea. Add to that the now granddaddy of cock-ups, KiwiBuild, and already this year you have a couple of spectacular failures in a year that was supposed to be the exact opposite. Which is why the PGF, I hope isn't going to get tossed on the heap of hopelessness where bad ideas go to die. The PGF is having a very bad week, of course. The Auditor General is now involved. We have had job numbers that in a year of delivery smacks of either a lack of delivery, if not a joke. And now we have broken down those numbers to show what potentially is an alarming amount of money going to a comparative handful of people. Now, to be fair... To fund, um, I mean, to be fair to the PGF in general, I accept that Winston Peters, his explanation to our show earlier on this week that none of this happens overnight. I mean, it could well be a slow burn, but over the um, over half the money, 1.7 billion has now been allocated. 750 million has already been spent. And the bulk has gone to the West Coast, the East Cape and Northland. Now, what's potentially frightening is that already the coast has over $4,000 per head of population. The East Cape has $3,000, double that for the 1.7 allocated, and it suddenly becomes $8,000 and $6,000 respectively. Now, if the trend continues by the time the entire $3 billion is handed out next year, it is then $16,000 and $12,000. per person on the West Coast. Family of four, that's $64,000. That's more than the average wage. Is that a growth fund or welfare? We give similar amounts per head to the Pacific Islands, for goodness sake, and call it aid. It's much less in Northland, but that reflects a greater population base. But the point is how much is enough? And if, it's, and if it's more than the average wage to an average house, and we are giving a helping hand, are we giving a helping hand or just a, creating a giant welfare net from which there is no escape? Also complicating matters is the confusion. A regional theatre, for example, wants help. Someone texted me yesterday saying, oh, a bridge in Southland could be fixed up. This is a growth fund, not a stopgap for regional council failure. And this is the worry for me. I like the idea. I've always liked the basic premise of this. There is no doubt parts of the country have been underfunded or ignored. There's no doubt that there are a lot of good ideas that could use a helping hand. There is no doubt sometimes it really is only a government that will will provide the initial spark. But at 550 jobs, after $750 million, and the queue of questions growing by the day, not to mention the government failure to actually get stuff off the ground, the PGF of today doesn't look as flash as the idea that came out of the box just 18 months ago.
0: So how do you pay for these things? Do you pay for them with things like sugar taxes,
1: for example? Um, If you have a sugar tax, what's that money for, and does it actually work? The key question here is, and you can go back to Mexico as a good example, when they put a sugar tax, they were one of the first to put a sugar tax in, all that happened is that people kept drinking, and they kept getting fat, and they keep having diabetes, but the government ended up with hundreds of millions of dollars and didn't know really really know what to do with them. And so the question is for Philadelphia: Is obesity going down? Because that's what it's all for. The original argument is, and this is where this whole thing's getting highly political. Even if you get a reduction in consumption of 38%, which is good, does it lead to less obesity? And with all the money you've got, what are you doing with it? Are you putting it into something different apart from health? Are you putting it into health? Or are you putting it into specific programs that lead to a lack of obesity? There's no point in having a tax if it doesn't work. And if the aim of the tax is to have less fat or fewer fat people, have you got it? Yes or no? And so they don't know that answer yet. It's early days, only been a couple of years, but they might, they might be on to something, which is interesting because out of Australia, and this applies to the Europeans as well, Apparently, sugar consumption is falling all by itself. So we might not need a tax at all. Consumption's been flatlining in Australia, apparently, for years. Rabobank's done this work. And so they've said that people are shifting to low sugar and sugar-free options. And demand in the European Union matches this. There's been no growth in sugar consumption for years now. So if there's no growth in consumption, why are we still getting fat? Because we are. So then can you, though, ask the question, maybe the link isn't between sugar and obesity. Maybe it is something else, and we were down the wrong path all along.
0: Peter Fitzsimon seemed pretty adamant that it was sugar.
1: Well, he gave up alcohol, and he argues that the uh, sugar and the alcohol was the key to it all, and uh, that was as big, and he sees he's maintained that.
0: He also started wearing bandanas, which I found disturbing. He's
1: also gone increasingly rabid if you read his articles in the Sydney Morning Herald, and I just wonder if there's a link between the lack of drink and being rabid. That's why I'm so calm and collected. Give me another one.
0: Well, certainly if we are going to go back to eating sugar, we're going to need more dentists and dental treatment probably, because that's definitely one thing where there is a scientifically proven link. Uh,
1: Who's going to pay for that? David Clark, who is the health minister, is considering official advice on whether dental care should be provided free to adults. If he did this, this would be a major, major move that we've never seen in this country. And the interesting thing about it is most of us would sit here and say, do we have a problem? Yes, we do. Is going to a dentist an impediment for many people? Yes, it is. Is that why we have a problem? Correct? Uh, So what do we do about it? So why isn't it part of the health system? When we get sick, we've got a health system. Having a mouthful of teeth that need pulling out and rotting, that is sickness. And it it leads to a very interesting study the other day. There's a direct link between poor health care, plaque, fillings, teeth falling out, and heart disease. So given that, why aren't we interested in supplying that as part of the health system? Well, the answer is reasonably obvious. It is fantastically expensive. And so if he's going to pull that trigger and make that call, that is a very bold and brave health minister. So we will watch and wait. Perhaps we hear something next week in the budget. The well-being.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm a fan of the government paying for all my expenses. I'm just not a fan of paying them in order to do that, like you have to in some of the Scandinavian countries. So there's your problem there, you see. Um, Now, young people, they're causing problems again by being good at sport.
1: Earlier in the year, North Harbour Rugby led the way in getting rid of rep rugby for kids, and their argument was it put other kids off playing the game. You're either on a path to some level of success, and if you weren't, you were despondent. And at the time, I wasn't aghast, but I I wasn't a fan, I had to say, I wasn't a fan. But North Harbour, they came on this programme, they mounted, I thought, a pretty impressive argument to back their claim, and they said, watch this space, we won't be the last. And they were right, they're not. Tasman. This week is joining that particular line. Rep rugby is gone in the Tasman region. I still don't like it, by the way. In fact, if we're broadly on the subject of changing sport and the way we play it, I would be more in favour of last week's impact study we did on the programme. That was done in the States, remember? That was on contact sport and the potential harm to the brain. That at least has a level of medical evidence behind it. It clashes with our human desire to take risk, of course, to push ourselves, to test our limits. But there's no doubting in taking that risk if you whack your head enough times. Uh, things are uh, almost going to certainly turn sour for you. But when it comes to rugby, it's not medical, it's psychological. And it goes, I would have thought, to the very core of who we are as a sporting nation. Sport can be about, of course it can, it can be about just, you know, taking part, social connection, bit of fun, maybe some levels of fitness, but organised sport that involves a competition and results and ladders and medals and winning and not winning automatically has an element of hierarchy about it. And the hierarchy is driven by the desire for most of us in some way, shape or form to be measured. Are we improving? Are we getting faster, better, more skilled and measured against those we play against and alongside? That's why you have a first 15 and a second 15. That's why you've got rep squads. A rep squad is a recognition that you're the best or part of the best, that you're going places and a rep squad gives you opportunities to excel. Now, as a kid who was okay at sport but never really going anyplace professional, uh, I was in a couple of rep squads, and I was very proud to be so. And they there were those, of course, who were always in the rep squad because they were the ones who were going to eventually turn pro or go very close to it. But for most of us, it was a goal that showed in some small way we'd achieved what we set out to do, to be as good as we could and to get some sort of tangible recognition for that. Competition is what makes sport sport. I still feel the move away from rep squads as part of a broad move, away from anything that marks anyone out these days. It's part of the games where we don't keep scores. Uh, the games where you need to retire if you get too many runs. The games that get called off if one side scores too many points. The games where everyone takes part, no one loses, and no one cries. These aren't good moves, but they look like they might be a movement. And I tell you what, we'll be here in a decade and we'll be regretting it.
0: Yeah, uh, what we need is to celebrate the most mediocre, give out awards for the most average, the most medium, the the middle people. Celebrate them a bit more. I think that's what we're after, isn't it? Uh, we're just going to finish up here with a with a little gabble of indecision. They're always fun, aren't they?
1: fact check to correct Julianne Genter moments ago. She said international jurisdictions are not seeing an increase of use. Not true. More Canadians say they've used cannabis recreationally since it was legalised, first three months of 18. 330,000 Canadians said they'd tried cannabis for the first time a year later, once legalised, 650. 330,000 to 650, 15% of cannabis users with a valid driver's licence reported driving within two hours of consuming. I rest my case. to
0: don't know why we chose to do a gobble, a turkey gobble, when it's a gabble. To be honest, I don't really know why we do most things on the show. We just do them. Hope you enjoyed them. Uh, that was the rewrap wrap for Thursday. I am Glenn ZB. We'll be back with more Gabbles, Gobbles and whatever tomorrow. See you then.